Hello everyone, and thank you for downloading episode 9 of Retrograding. We're going to get you into the episode as soon as possible, but as you will hear in the episode, we forgot to do plugs, so you're going to have to hear them now. First and foremost, thank you for listening. We would love if you could help us spread the word. We have a Facebook page, which can be found by searching Retrograding on Facebook. We have a Twitter account, which is at RetrogradingPod, and all of our other contact information can be found at Retrograding.Fireside.FM. Secondly, our music is done by Dominique Barnes. You can find her at Dominique A. Barnes on SoundCloud if you'd like to contact her or hear more. Thirdly, Our episode ran a little long today, so we've taken out the section where we discuss what movie we're going to do next and our remembrances of said film, and you guys will be hearing that in a bonus episode to be released next week. Alright, that's all for now. Let's get you into the episode. This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. This is Retrograding, a show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood movies. This week we were looking at D3 The Mighty Ducks to see if our nostalgia is warranted. Uh, First things first, this is a show where usually three kids from the 90s give adult looks. Uh, We are one person down as Sarah has contracted the plague and is slowly dying. Uh, But do not worry, we've cloned her and we'll have her back in two weeks. But we do have Mark here. Mark, how you doing? I also had the plague, but you already cloned me and I am back. Of course. The science is just that advanced, people. All right, let's get into it. Now, frequent listeners would know this will be Sarah's turn to do the 60-second synopsis, the cliff notes of the film, if you will. Uh, We don't have her and we didn't want to prepare one because it's a lot of work. So we're going to forgo the time limit and try to go through it as quickly as possible. Mark, are you ready? I'm ready to watch you do it. Good and great. (laughs) All right. So the movie starts off with uh, the Ducks accepting a scholarship to Eden Hall Academy, a school that Bombay has previously attended. And at the end of this, we learn that he has been given a new job. He was the Junior Goodwills Games... Something, something. Uh, Director of player personnel. (laughs) Why, there. Together we got it done. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So this pisses off Charlie as he is losing his surrogate father figure. Uh, And Bombay leaves telling him that they have a good coach coming and expecting that they're going to have a great season. So the the kids uh, start school. What we learn is that they immediately get fire from the varsity team because the leader of the varsity team had a brother that would have been on the JV team, but the Ducks took him spot with this new scholarship program. We also learned that varsity team believes that this was just, what's the word I'm looking Publicity for? Publicity stunt. Publicity stunt. Uh, expecting the Ducks won't make it through a full year. So the Ducks are struggling with this new school. They haven't been to one before where it is so intense, a learning institution. Uh, Charlie meets a cute girl who immediately writes him off because he's a jock. Uh, and they go to their first practice. Uh, the coach comes in and they immediately get off to the wrong foot, telling Charlie that he can't be captain. He will decide who is captain on his team. So Charlie goes and consoles
battles with Hans, uh, who basically tells him, Charlie, you're not a kid anymore. You need to grow up and accept new learning experiences. Definitely good advice from Hans. Absolutely. He is the best. So um, this is kind of the beginning of the prank war that happens between the JV and the varsity team. Uh, So the varsity starts off by stealing the lunches, which Charlie um, rebounds and counteracts by picking up a horse turd and putting it in a bag uh, and then bringing that in as his lunch the varsity opens it is totally disgusted and chase them out oh just before the prank war begins we get their first game where the first two periods are traditional fan service with the ducks scoring using their many bags of tricks but the third period they totally can't do any defense and they end it with an embarrassing tie uh having previously been up nine zero uh that's the i think the dean contacts the coach and tells him that if he can't win the kids are going to be kicked out of school and this is where we get the prank war because having tied their game after being such a high lead, the varsity have thrown all the ducks clothes into the shower, got them completely damp. The ducks get revenge by freezing the varsity team's clothes with liquid nitrogen. The JV then seeks revenge by inviting ducks out to dinner and doing a, a dine and dash on them, meaning the ducks have to spend the night working at the restaurant to pay off the bill. The ducks then invade the varsity dorms and get a bunch of ants and put them into the varsity rooms bedrooms the final showdown is a match between the jv and the varsity uh but the varsity sweeps the floor with these kids uh and it leads to an all-out brawl between that starts with charlie fighting banks uh i suppose we should have mentioned he made varsity earlier (laughs) and for some reason at this point all of the pranks suddenly stop yes uh it's because the coach has found out about it the Ducks coach comes in, I suppose they're the Warriors now, and he tells them, takes the Ducks jerseys off, you are Warriors now. Charlie refuses and subsequently leaves the team, followed only by Fulton, leaving the rest of the team kind of there on their own. Uh, they enjoy a day out away from school at the Mall of America, and Charlie visits Hans, who shows uh, some physical ailments, but tells him that he's going to be fine. When this whole shenanigans is over with him skipping school, he learns that Hans has passed away. So they attend the funeral of Hans Bombay comes back and lays a duck's jersey on his casket just before it is put into the ground and the next day he teaches Charlie a lesson about how the coach has a good soul where they go to the the school rink where the coach is skating with his handicapped daughter and explains why he actually left the major league because he needed to be in Minnesota for her recovery and the team has subsequently moved to Texas so Charlie wants to come back but the dean informs that that their scholarships are going to be revoked. They go to combat this. They bring Bombay in as a lawyer and he slaps them with an injunction, meaning that they get to stay in school for the rest of the year. This leads to the showdown between the JV and the varsity once again at the traditional JV varsity game at Eden Hall. They make a stupid bet between players that if the Ducks win, the Ducks will become the new school mascot, even though the players have you know no control over this whatsoever. Uh, so we get the final showdown. And the most important thing is this, is that their coach has finally taught them defense. So they go to battle. They get through two periods, and they've managed to hold the varsity off. They've blocked all the cheap shots, uh, but they don't think they can make it through the third. This is where Portman, Dean Portman comes back into the show and the Bash brothers come back as an entity. However, during this third period, he is taking out for roughing a player 
and then they get too many players on the ice, and Kenny Wu goes into the penalty box as well, meaning the Ducks have three against five. It's not looking so great, uh, but Charlie gets the puck. He flies down the rink towards the, uh, the last goal, managing to dodge players, but at the last second, he passes it behind him to Goldberg, of all people, who gets it in uh, for a score just before the buzzer ends. Let's see. While they're celebrating, Charlie looks into the stand, and there's Bombay once again, who gives uh, him a nod towards the side of the rink, where, lo and behold, they, they have announced the new mascot of the Ducks. Uh, finishes with a flashback to the first movie, uh, where it ends with them celebrating after Charlie's score. So that is the movie in short form, much <laughs> longer than our normal short form, but maybe I can edit that down. Shorter than our original long form in the first few episodes. True enough. So let's break this down. Let's go long form. Mark, what did you see this time as an adult that you missed as a child? Okay. Well, I... As you may recall from uh, our last segment last time, where I don't really remember much about this movie because I think I maybe only saw it once. I remember that I didn't like it as much as the other two, and that is probably still true. What Something that struck me right away at the beginning was what I recall this being college rather than high school. And Charlie is only supposed to be 14 in this movie, which... I guess I, th I thought he looked a bit older than that, but maybe he doesn't. I, I, I would agree. <laughs> I mean, mid-teens is where I would put him, like a 15, 16 type person. Uh, but that, that depends on how old he was when he filmed the original films. Because this follows two years after D2, which was released in 94. I, I think, um, well, and what struck me as weird, I guess, maybe this is a thing that they do at some high schools, but I don't remember ever high schools having scholarships where I grew up. Now, I can forgive that simply because this is a private high school. Yeah, and that's, I think that might be the thing, because my, my next point was that they had dorms where the kids stay on campus, which, again, is why I thought it was a college. <laughs> I mean, it's not out of the question to have a, a board school but it would seem weird that like people who lived in minnesota would use the dorms yes well and that was my next point was half of the ducks team was from all over the country in d2 so they all moved to minnesota to go to this high school and where yes. are their families did their whole family move there with them i guess since they have dorms the family wouldn't have to but i thought at high school isn't that still well i guess it's a private school so i was gonna say wouldn't it be part of the normal school district so traditionally boarding schools you just send the child to the parents normally don't come along for the ride that's true the thing that struck me is that this boarding school has horses running over everywhere and it, it comes up a lot of times particularly in the prank war because <laughs> that's how they obtain their turds <laughs> Well, and Dwayne also decides to ride one of the horses to rope one of the varsity players at one point to keep him from catching them in their pranks. Oh, yeah. This school has the worst security imaginable because the ducks are able to take a liquid nitrogen tank from the science lab. And this is this tank is the size of Kenny Wu. 
the, then they Dwayne steals a horse so he can do this whole Lone Ranger rodeo thing during the prank war. Uh, and then they steal all the ants for on that same night. Well, and then the kids are all able to just get into the ice rink at five in the morning all on their own with no coaches around. Mm-hmm. So I don't think this private school has heard of locking things up or like alarms at all. Maybe they've never had to worry about it before. Well, I mean, these kids are not their typical fancy kids with all the money so who knows <laughs> now i want to talk about the uh the opening sequence because they do another chase scene like they did in d2 where well i guess in d2 they were gathering up all the players and this one it is just them going to school and there is a phenomenal chase scene where apparently goldberg can't skate they've retconned that and so he veers off course well i mean as a goalie he doesn't really normally have to i guess because he just stands in front of the net true but by the end he becomes a prominent player which and i kind of liked that part of it but we'll go back to your story sure sure so goldberg veers off course uh and charlie the captain has to go chase after him to try to get him back on track and honestly this chase scene is a lot of fun so just because it keeps moving and there's different events going on in it so goldberg is going backwards downstairs into laundry he gets chased by a pit bull uh he gets wrapped up in a hose they go they veer onto a highway uh dodging traffic charlie jumps over a car uh, and then they nearly miss semis and jump off of a bridge and back and meet up with the team. So I actually had issues with that scene. But Interesting. Go on. I mean, it's an interesting scene. It's a way to get all the characters together just for a fun little shot of them skating around town again. First of all, of course, it's a pit bull that chases him because everyone knows that's the evil dog that nobody likes for some reason. Yeah, it may or may not be Chance. I think it's the stereotypical evil dog that everybody thinks is going to eat you for some reason but i think it could just be that it ha- that's the dog that happened to be there but it was just funny to me that it's always a pit bull that's the bad dog in <laughs> movies but then when he gets tied up in a hose i guess it was just curled up on the ground but yet the next second it's wrapped all around his leg and if yeah. it's curled up on the ground just sitting there why was it on yeah it's an excellent point it doesn't really make sense in the world i forgave it because it's you know it's the very beginning of the movie it's where your suspension of disbelief really comes in and it's it's fun yes. i think i would agree i think i that. could still show this to a child and they would get a kick out of it because it's physical humor that you don't really catch much in movies anymore yeah and i i mean i'll go along with that i just figured when i'm watching through it those were the things that hit me and this was actually more the second time that i was thinking about these rather than the first time watching it through where it was just like that's a fun scene but maybe we just watch it too many times during these reviews it's possible again at the beginning they meet their teachers for the first time which i really got a (laughs) kick out of uh so there's a some type of teacher we're not sure what uh who explains that on mondays they get a practice quiz on wednesdays they get an actual quiz and each friday they will have an exam and they may get a possible secret quiz whenever she wants (laughs) now the person who delivers this you may recognize because she played the principal in the first movie i knew i knew her from somewhere and i just couldn't remember why and i think she's been in other movies too though so i don't know if moving from a principal of a public school to a teacher in a private school is a promotion or a demotion but i kind of want to know her story 
<laughs> yeah, can we talk about that for a while? Yes, let's did you, go did you on go a research that? Oh, good lord, no. But there's a lot going on in the background of this film that I want like actual movies made of or like at least to expand on it. We'll get into the second one after I, I cover the other teacher who is a history teacher. And the kids find this guy boring because he, he goes on with his lectures. But as an adult, I really enjoyed him. Like I He is too. a great teacher making the subject matter come alive for his students i thought the same thing although i think the first one that they actually met which i don't know what he teaches either but he was the ant guy when they were looking at the ant farm i thought that was the dean but I could be was wrong. Was it? Oh, yes. He may have been the dean. Yeah, because he explained that ants have an almost perfect society where everyone does their <laughs> yes. fair share of work uh, and everyone pulls their weight where all the workers know what they have to do and there's one queen ruling everything. So in his analogy, the students are the workers and Russ points out, well, then that makes him a queen. Yes. That was yeah. a good line. And of course, it's Russ that says it. He gets a lot of the good one-liners. Oh, he really does. My favorite is uh, oh, the, the varsity is the calls him a name. I was thinking of? I think so. <laughs> where he he takes off his glasses. It's like, who are you calling white trash? <laughs> yep, that's the one. So we wanted to talk about the um, the good teachers in this film. And I think I really appreciated the history teacher. And it, to me, it's the mark of a good film where as a child, you side with the children character. And coming back as an adult, I side it with the adults in the film. Because I find that history teacher very engaging. And even Coach o, uh, was it Coach O'Reilly? That was the first movie. O'Ryan. Coach O'Brien. Coach O'Brien. O'Ryan? O'Brien. Something. Oh, yes. something. O'Ryan. <laughs> Uh, so Coach O'Ian, I really loved in this movie because he is given the difficult task of taking on a team that has been working together for, I think they said, the past five years mm -hmm. with the same coach and trying to come off as an authority figure. And he does it really well. And I, yeah, I, I said, again, in our review last time, I said that I didn't think I liked the new coach because I got used to having Bombay there in the first two movies. And I think that was kind of the point. Is, is and Now that when I watch it again, is that was the whole thing. Well, you guys have a new coach. You're going to have to learn how to work with him now instead. And I liked his coaching style, I think, now. Um, as a kid, I didn't really understand it, maybe, and it just sounded like a lot of yelling. But a lot of it made sense to me this time around. Yeah, the big difference in their styles is this guy actually wants to teach form and precision and well, hockey, whereas <laughs> Bombay just wanted to teach, you know, having fun, having a good time. Yeah. And so this coach doesn't put up with any nonsense. Uh, he chastises them for all their trick shots in their first game. Uh, Kenny Wu tries to do a figure skating trick and he tells him to knock that crap off. Uh, and then I think Goldberg tries to persuade him to have some fun and he just... He continually shuts Goldberg down. Well, it's interesting to me that finally in this movie, Goldberg is hit with reality and is no longer the first string goalie because he was never the best one. Well, uh, I mean, yes. I guess in the first movie, he was the only the goalie, only one. but yeah. in the second movie, he was definitely not the better goalie, but they stuck with him because he was, they still won. Going to your point about coaching, I think it was more about the having fun, even though a lot of Bombay's upbringing through his P and being a lawyer was all about 
getting the win, which I think also came in a lot in the first two movies because it was all about we need to win games, and that was the big thing at the end of the movie. They always won and made a big deal, and most of those games were scoring multiple points throughout the whole game. And it was interesting that this coach and this whole movie was all about not scoring points. Absolutely. So the thing I love about this film is that it is self-aware of all the tropes in the series that have happened before and all the problems with the previous films, and it tries to fix them. At the same time, it is nostalgic for the first movie, which the kids would be watching this given that it came out four years previous. So they they try to fix a lot of things and Goldberg not being the starting goalie is definitely among them because Kat is by far the better player. But they also do something very smart where Goldberg is definitely a fan favorite of the series. And so they have to find a way to still have him be important in the games. And they they do that by making him an excellent defender, kind of a second goalie floating around the first one, which that uh, which is what I was saying earlier is why I liked what they did with him because. Because it, as a coach, that would make sense. If you need, if you're trying to teach a team to have good defense and not let everybody else score points, if you have two goalies, you might as well let both of them out there at the same time. I guess that's bad because you have no backup then. But <laughs> but it also means your primary goalie is doing less work, hopefully. Yeah, because you have a second person out there who understands defense and who has been doing that all along. So it was a good move in my opinion to have two goalies out there at the same time right now let's talk about the other players because uh, they kind of changed charlie's character here a bit now this is more forgivable than when they retconned bombay's character in the second one because charlie is a kid who is kind of coming of age uh he gets put in a bad position because up until this moment his life has been going exactly the way he wants it to. He's got friends with the Ducks. He has a coach that believes in him and keeps him on as captain. Uh, but he loses the coach. One of their main scorers, Banks, goes to varsity. And he has to deal with this new coach and try to start a new relationship for him. Basically, he was as high as he could go on his previous team. And now he is back at the same level of all the other competitors, all the other teammates, and that's not really where he wants to be. Meanwhile, you know, he's 15, and he's or 14, rather, and he's starting high school, and with all that stress. Yes, and like you said, they change his character a lot, but I think it made sense, because as a teenager, that's kind of what happens in your life, is everything starts changing, and you have to try to learn to cope with it. So I think that it just worked well for this age group, because that's what... What a lot of them would have to be doing at that point in their life anyway right oh interesting the thing that i just realized uh so in the first or second movie with the the tutor she explains that america is a teenager just like they are but uh they're just turning 14 and i guess they've been together for the past five years that's one thing the film doesn't quite get correct uh <laughs> is how long they've been working together well and i think because d2 was supposed to take place one year after the first one correct but it was released two years after right but if they were if it, they've been together for five years now and he's 14 he would have been nine in the first movie right so 10 in the second i guess we don't know that for sure because they've already been together when bombay takes over true but they weren't really the ducks uh and i don't know if it also counts the the new guys who came on in d2 yeah 
yeah, it's it's a huge question mark as to how long they were planning for Team USA before they started high school. That was something that was weird to me too. I, really, so this this movie we only really see them playing hockey. Well, they have three games, although one of them is technically not even a game. So <laughs> they only play two games. One of them against is against a different school. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that they tie at the beginning. And the other one is the JV varsity game. So to me, it was almost a step backwards because the previous one, it's international playing against some of the best teams in the world, all this stuff. And now all they're doing is playing against more players at their own school. So. Right. <laughs> Yo, it's, uh, so there's several things we should get into. Um the first of which, as you say, they are coming and just playing varsity. Now, varsity is hot shit at this school because they've been state champs for the longest time. But you're right. They, these Ducks were previously world champs and are stepping down to the state champ level. Uh, plus, Goldberg says at one point that they either play or they play around, meaning that this is a bunch of misfits that kind of goof off together all the time, and yet they are the best players in the world at their age group. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing is, once again, they have no tryout period or playoffs between, like, students who may want to join the team. Apparently, they all got these scholarships, and this is the only team that is going to play for the jv which yeah and i mean that's part of the thing where the one guy who said it was a publicity stunt which and he was upset because his little brother got bumped off the team because he now what does i mean you still have backups or other players so why wouldn't your little brother still be there or you would you would something. think so yes. so I, it's weird to me that they offer scholarships to an entire team of kids and kick off everyone else who was already on the team you might offer scholarships to a few people and see who accepts it rather than taking on an entire team. So that's where I would maybe agree about the publicity stunt. <laughs> and I, I want to get into these contracts, but before we do, the final thing I wanted to say on the weird retconning of the history, well, two things on that. Number one, it's a throwaway line, but during their first game where they're scoring in the first two periods, uh, Julie the cat is in goal, kind of just bored, and she creates kind of a poem, but it doesn't fit into the time period at all. I think it goes, Fulton scored, Fulton's great. A year ago, he couldn't even skate. <laughs> um, yep, I sure didn't remember that. I remember her singing to herself, but I didn't actually care about the words, so... <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it's really dumb dialogue, which this film has a lot of, so I don't blame you at all. It just throws another layer of shade onto this already dark place. I, I never played uh, official, you know, hockey um, with a team or anything. I did used to play soccer when I was younger, and I do remember as a goalie, if your team is always scoring, the ball never comes down to your end, you do get really bored. So I could relate to her. <laughs> But it still seems like you would have to try to stay interested in the game. You would think, given that this is her first, you know, game experience that we've seen on film. Yeah. I mean, sure, she made the final catch in the show off of the second one, but that's like two minutes of play, maybe. So the other thing I wanted to get into with the retconning was they kind of retcon Bombay's past. Now, they do a better job in the second movie because they remember that he got drunk and community service is what put him in contact with the Ducks. But this school has kind of a hall of fame where Bombay is featured prominently for playing hockey. 
where in the first movie, he hates hockey. And it's suggested that after he screwed up playing for the Hawks, he never picked up the game again. Like, after his father died, he gave up the game. Because that's what I thought, too, because we had talked about that during the previous film that we didn't think he had played since Pee Wee. Now, the film also remembers that he is a lawyer, at least used to be a lawyer, because uh, they bring him in to defend these contracts, and these are the most poorly written contracts uh, that the school could have put out. Because apparently they are ironclad and don't leave any room for them to discard the contracts at their discretion. Because they try to say, well, you can finish the semester, but these contracts will expire. We won't picking them up uh, for the subsequent semesters. And Bombay says, well, no, apparently you've guaranteed them four years on a full ride and there's nothing you can do about it. Also, Portman accepts his scholarship months into the school year beginning, and apparently he is just part of the team now. I was going to comment on that, but I thought I was going to wait until the final game. It was just interesting, because I even knew as soon as, uh, because at the beginning, Fulton was all upset because, oh, Portman's not coming with us. He's going to stay in Chicago. He's breaking up the Bash Brothers. Yeah. And then when they did that whole thing where Bombay comes in and talks about the contracts, he, at the end, they're all happy because he got them to keep the scholarships and he says well i've got business in chicago but i'll be back someday and i was like oh i wonder what he's doing in chicago <laughs> you know i had forgotten that's where portman was just because it's in a throwaway line at the beginning but you're right uh fulton kind of has an identity crisis and doesn't <laughs> know who he's supposed to be anymore and that same scene which takes place at the beginning it's just before they start the chase scene uh i love that they pointed out that Fulton always practices shooting out of the alley, <laughs> where it'd be much safer to shoot into the alley. Apparently, it has never occurred to him as a street golem. <laughs> and apparently, he and Charlie are just best friends now because Portman's gone. Well, that started in the first movie, where they were the only two players uh, to show up for the game that they had to forfeit. True. And Charlie was pretty good at uh, teaching him how to skate, as well as, in this movie, you know, helping him out when he's really tired just to keep going in the practice. Let's talk about the board meeting, where they have this contract argument. So it takes place with the board and the Ducks. Apparently, they also allowed the varsity team to just come and witness what was going on, as well as a large section of the student body just standing in the background. <laughs> because the girl that Charlie is interested in, Linda, is just standing there and meets up with him afterwards. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. <laughs> Apparently, the board meetings at the school completely open to all of the student body. Maybe they have to be? Is there some legal reason that the students need to be aware of everything that the board decides? Yes, but that would usually be in some sort of publication or notes. They wouldn't come yeah. and be in attendance. Maybe it's a membership meeting. Oh, I think it's a bit of a stretch, but I'll allow it. There's no rules in the rule book says that this can't be done. <laughs> so I do want to talk about Linda a bit more because this is a relationship that Charlie just decides he wants to be a part of. He sees that Linda thinks that she's very cute, tries to impress her by telling her that he is the captain of the junior varsity team which isn't true at that moment. 
but that doesn't impress her much, I guess, because uh, she's totally written off all jocks in her life. That's a Shania Twain song, so I'm... Uh, yes, I'm aware. <laughs> I didn't know he sang it. I was aware it was a, it was a song. Mm. So the next time they meet up, she's waiting for a bus, and Charlie tries to pick her up by explaining that they have a lot in common because they both love pizza and they both love music. I really think it was it. He tried to pick her up. She said she didn't know him. So he goes on this rant about, well, this is who I am. I'm 14 and I'm six foot two and I play hockey and I like pizza and music or something. And somehow that's a good pickup line. Oh, you know what it is? I just found my notes on this. He starts by negging her, uh, explaining that she is really stuck up just like all the other jerks in the school. Uh, so they, they bond over... Pantera, R.E.M., and John Woo movies. Uh, enough for her to invite him onto the public bus and say, well, just keep talking. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> the relationship then is never picked up again. I mean, she attends the game where they tie, and Charlie gets a penalty at the end because he has smashed his... Um, stick into the goal stick yes that's the word yes i kept wanting to call it a racket and that's just wrong <laughs> it's not McEnroe here uh then they they meet up after the board meeting and he invites her to the final game and then she's at the final game and they kiss for some reason uh, well and there actually was another budding romance in this movie do you recall this would this be uh what's his name luis mendoza hooray and one of the cheerleader girls and so i don't know i don't remember if he met her before but he came and sat down with her at the lunch table so i was looking for this there is one throwaway scene where he follows her down a hallway oh right I remember that in the like he's in his locker or something and then turns around and follows her. So then he comes and sit down with her at lunch and she points out to him, oh, the freshman girls are over there. And he says, oh, girls, well, I'm interested in a real woman. Mm -hmm. This guy's a real player. Yeah, he's so smooth. And then she says, oh, well, you better run away because my boyfriend's going to beat you up. And she waves with the boyfriend. So the camera pans over and when it comes back, he's gone. Well, you see him crawling along under the table, which I thought was his way to escape from the boyfriend seeing him. But you may notice that he's actually walking around looking up the girl's skirts as he crawls under the table. And then he turns and looks directly at the camera and nods at you like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's a real Porky's moment. I mean, it's incredibly pervy in the way that, like, 80s and 90s movies were. I could definitely see an adolescent teen really liking that scene. But as an adult, I'm just like... Uh, you can't do that, buddy. Yeah, it was... If you continue that into adulthood, you'll be thrown in jail <laughs> because these are people true. and women and respect them, goddammit. So uh, then at the then I don't think anything happens with that again until after the last game. And as everybody's leaving, he's just making out with her on the side of the hockey rink and her boyfriend walks by and he just looks up at him and smiles or something. Yeah, I think he had a line, but I don't remember what he said. He said... It's been our little secret. Oh, yeah. That's all it That's was. even better. Now, I want to see his story as well, because he is living a completely separate movie uh, that we are just <laughs> not getting any part of. And you don't really see him much in this movie other than he does score a goal in that first game, which, of course, you see their 
random tricks again where he can't stop for some reason, even though he learned how to stop against Iceland at the end of the other movie. They retconned it. So instead of stopping, now he just jumps over the goal, which he apparently knows how to do, but never did that in the other movie. Instead, he just ran into people. But at least he could score a goal this time. So. Now, before we move on to their trick shots, because I do want to talk about them, uh, we should talk about the third budding romance in this movie, which is between Julie and the goalie for the varsity team. And I think his name is Shooter. <laughs> which is a funny name for a goalie. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very <laughs> ironic. The only time we see this is in the match-offs between varsity and JV, uh, in the first one, the the showdown at the morning that isn't sponsored by anything, uh, they basically have a throwaway line where he just wants to call the whole thing off. And she says, uh, I hate ties. It's like kissing your brother. Uh, and then at the final game, after the Ducks have won, uh, he comes up and he plants a kiss on her cheek. And she's like, oh, that's really nice. <laughs> yeah, I think he was he the guy who like all the jock kids are always messing with the Ducks and making fun of the JV team and. And how bad they are and all this and i thought there was at least one of them who was always kind of like in the background didn't really want to be a part of it but was there because he's part of varsity team was it that guy i think so uh it doesn't come up a lot in the film so i got his name wrong it's actually scooter but <laughs> close. shooter made it more sense it would have been more fun name uh, there's only one throwaway scene it's when the duck's first come into the ice rink uh he has a conversation with cole the dumb jock main bully guy where he's like they can't be from the wrong side of the tracks minnesota has no trains therefore no tracks i'm pretty sure that's not true <laughs> also um side note cole i looked up because his face looked so familiar to me some of you may notice him as that guy that I can't remember his name now, but he was in The Walking Dead, probably still in The Walking Dead, I think, unless he got killed. But he's the guy with the red hair and the big handlebar mustache who runs around. He's like the big bad army guy who's always killing everything. I wish I remembered his name because it would be a lot easier to explain it. But <laughs> It sure would. I'm sure fans of the show know what you're talking about. I sure don't. Not that I'm terribly against it. I've just never seen it. Oh. Let's see. So let's talk about the trick shots so they do excellent fan service here in that they show you all the trick shots that you want to see from the previous two movies but they also condense it into one game and then it never comes up again because this is a film that is focused on actual hockey where the ducks are learning defense where you know you may only want to see them scoring points well here's your fan service for you because in one game they do the knuckle puck they do Fulton's slap shot where he spins a guy and it goes in they did the flying v i believe they do the cowboys trick shots which he calls it a shootout now where he pops up the puck on his stick and then hits it into the goal averman even gets a trick shot where he moves his stick back and forth real quick fusing the goalie and then when he reaches the goal he doesn't have the puck fulton does behind him who shoots it through his legs and the goalie's legs and into the goal we get the mendoza speed skating and i think charlie gets a hat trick out of it and i would think as a goalie moving a stick back and forth really fast would not confuse you <laughs> probably <laughs> you, would, not. you would hope so anyway y you would 
good. Uh, so the one callback in this uh, first game that I really like is at the very end of it. Uh, so they are tied 9-9. No, they are. it's 8-9. They're up. They're already winning. Charlie gets the, the puck and decides he's going to win the game decidedly just one more score. Uh, and he takes it up. And as he is going, he falls and the puck slides and is just short of making a goal. It was an excellent callback to the first movie where they call him Spazway. And every time he approaches the goal, he falls and fails because in the first movie, he couldn't skate. But I'm pretty sure that he got tripped and it didn't get called in this one. He definitely did get tripped, but I think just him sliding into the ground and missing the goal was an excellent callback. Made me very nostalgic for the first film. I do want to go into the prank war a little bit. First of all, the clothes in the showers. So this is one of the first films that acknowledges that locker rooms have showers and that all the players are changing in the same room with two girls on the I'm team. glad you say this because I was thinking the same thing. Now, they do have, they do change in locker rooms in the other movies, but I don't know that they ever specifically showed anything about communal showers. Right. I hadn't really thought about it at all until this movie and then i was like oh that's interesting <laughs> so i mean is this school just cool with co-ed showers i mean presumably these kids have been friends for the longest time maybe they're okay with it just because they've known each other for a really long time but like there was at least a relationship between Gee and connie which would get really awkward if they're forced to shower together and with the rest of the team there it's just it's real weird i don't know why a school of this size doesn't have female locker rooms <laughs> women don't play sports we don't need locker rooms for them of course not uh so in the liquid nitrogen scene it doesn't really acknowledge this but they freeze everyone's clothing right so i'm waiting for your opinion on this as mr science here okay <laughs> I was just, I figured you would have some opinion about the frozen jackets shattering. Kind of. Let's see, so liquid nitrogen, it definitely can do this, but you also have to kind of submerge the item in liquid nitrogen. I don't know if in spray form it'll do the same thing. Mm -hmm. It may. I'm not really um, aware of how it all works, but I know that liquid nitrogen, you can pour it on your hand and it'll be fine. I mean, they wear special gloves in case it gets submerged but like if you're just pouring it and it's falling off of your hand no problems uh but they were going for an actual thing you have to do it for a certain amount of time or else it'll get really really hard and not brittle but the point i was gonna make is that they do this to all of the varsity's clothing and that clothing is super expensive now granted these are the rich kids who can buy back all of their clothing including the varsity jacket which they did in the next scene exactly right but it's still it costs a significant amount of money it might even be comparable to the 857 dollars that they stick the ducks with during the dine and dash scene and i'm sure the liquid nitrogen costs quite a bit also ah but mark they stole that they didn't pay for it <laughs> it cost the school yeah the uh the dine and dash scene was interesting because you've got banks on the varsity team now and he was they were still a little unsure when the varsity guy came over and invited them to this dinner he was all nice to them 
them and said, this is a thing that we do every year. It's a tradition that varsity team buys the JV team dinner and congratulates you for your first game, blah, 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 blah. So they all, and then, then they were still a little unsure. Banks walks by and says, hey, it's cool. And they're all like, oh, well, Banks says it's okay. Let's go now. And then they were enjoying themselves right up until the end where they get a cake that says, thanks for dinner, losers. And then they're all gone. And what's interesting to me is that the guy, there's like four people coming out from the restaurant pushing this cake and the guy just comes up to them with the cake and hands them the bill and he's like giving them an angry face as he hands it to them and I'm like you're part of the restaurant you don't even know yet that they're not gonna pay you what's the point of being angry with them right now well I think he kind of surmised and I he may have been given an extra amount of money perhaps you know my dad will close this restaurant down if you don't do this type of talk it's not fully explained but I think think he's aware that the ducks can't pay just by looking at them if nothing else yeah, <laughs> yeah. but you mentioned uh that in the lunchroom scene where they invite him out to dinner they do an excellent job justifying why the ducks would fall for this because if it was just the varsity asking them out to dinner I don't think they would go for it. But they explain that this is a tradition, that this happens every year, and then they also convince by Banks that this is totally a good idea. Where in a lot of these prank films, characters will get tricked into things that they wouldn't necessarily fall for. This film does an excellent job justifying each and every prank. Uh, and I I love during the, um, the ant scene, because I think you've mentioned that Cowboy Dwayne gets up on a horse with a Lone Ranger mask uh, and big tough guy, what is his name? Cole, Cole. is coming back and <laughs> Dwayne chases him down and hog ties him. <laughs> and I thought that was particularly great because at the end of the scene, he comes back like doing the worm across the floor <laughs> coming back into the dorms. Yes. Oh, and that was, was just even, phenomenal. I, I mean, not only are they somehow able to rig up this whole thing where they could vacuum all of the ants out of their house but then they had a whole bunch of tubes set up just to send all the ants straight into the people's beds without without actually having to touch the ants but not only that they had ropes tied to all of the doors somehow so that the doors would not open and so the guys are stuck in their rooms so i'm not sure why the ants would just suddenly decide to start chewing on people just because they happen to crawl out into a person's bed but then on top of that if you knock some ants off of you onto the floor why does it matter that you're locked in your room so so the idea here is that these were brazilian fire ants uh you know particularly nasty and i think that's you've taken them out of their habitat they're being forced into new areas this is when they would start attacking because they're they're not with their queen anymore also the the ants are still on them biting them when they get up to go to the doors the idea was that they were going to the group showers to wash the ants off was that ever explained yeah i think it was in a throwaway dialogue just when they are approaching the doors trying to get out but you notice what once they get out into the hall there's no running around anymore because they see the ducks and just stopping get right in their face and start arguing with them again i think at the end of the scene they're headed off to the showers but yeah you're right that it's only in the background where the characters are still scratching and trying to get the ants off of him so is that all of the pranks that is ants finishes the pranks and that's where they go into the showdown which well do they call that a shootout it was really i mean it was a game but not really a game <laughs> it wasn't a shootout it was a bit of a showdown showdown that's a good word <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> oh, and during this showdown, they try the flying V again. And this is why this is a terrible maneuver. Because if one person comes up and knocks the kids down like bowling pins, because they're standing so close together, there is no defense in the backfield to stop them charging. Yes. Which is exactly true. what and happens. And I think what was funny about that was, I, I think they were already losing at this point, but they go to do the flying V like it was really early in the game too wasn't it like they just like okay let's go do the flying v now like well this game doesn't go full length because it ends in a brawl but i think the varsity scores twice and after the second score they try the flying v well and going back to the very beginning of the game why is it foggy <laughs> indoors <laughs> excellent question i think i mean i think the point is i mean it's cool visually and it's ice but an ice rink since there's ice would be kept at a constant temperature all the time so that the ice doesn't melt so there's no reason for it to be foggy excellent point saliently made i can't justify it also they're playing in the dark the whole time because the thing at the end that stops the brawl is the lights coming on i mean maybe they're trying to keep it secret so people don't know that they snuck into the rink to play but how are you going to play a whole game in the dark yeah plus they're cutting up the ice like you can't play on ice without cutting it up a little bit that's why you have zambonis yes oh you know what we should get into hans <gasps> oh right <laughs> but this was before that after that game it's true he comes up new but i think we're approaching the final game before we get in that we should definitely get into hans's storyline in this because I was so excited to have him in the film again. He was one of my favorite parts of the first film, and they replaced him with a poor substitute in the second film. Uh, he's still very much a highlight to this film. It is so heartbreaking when he dies, because he, uh, he is caught by Charlie, you know, having heart palpitations or whatever, and then he convinces Charlie that, the, oh, it's just one of my classic German tricks. I got you again. <laughs> uh, and... The last thing he says on screen before it cuts away is goodbye, Charlie. Mm -hmm. uh, and just before that, you are the heart of the team. Don't let it slip away. I think even when that scene started, I thought I noticed something because he was like drinking his coffee or whatever and making faces. So you could kind of tell something was up. And then Charlie walks in complaining about how terrible life is. And he just goes into his normal... Um, speech about everything will be okay you just have to keep being yourself and uh then at the end you kind of see him slump back down again and that's when charlie asks if he's okay but yeah it was i i don't remember this at all from watching it as a kid but as soon as that scene came up i was like well i know what's happening next <laughs> so yeah it, but it to me, this is one of the major faults of the film. Not that they have a character dying. I think that is done well and respectful. The problem is, immediately following this scene, which is touching and him saying goodbye to Charlie for the last time, it falls with a massive tone switch where they're at they're having a montage at the Mall of America where Charlie's having a day off and it's a super fun time. And we're supposed to see, look how much fun they're having now that they're not in school. Well, and I think part of that was we're showing him goofing off, just still doing his own thing. And then, first of all, he loses all of his teammates when the coach tells him they all need to take their jerseys off. He refuses because he's the rebel now. And, <laughs> and uh, Fulton follows him so they 
they take a day off school to go to the Mall of America. So he's running around having fun, just goofing off. At the end of the day, he loses Fulton too, because Fulton realizes, hey, I don't think that I'm going to play hockey for the rest of my life. So he's going to go back to school to get educated for something else. Yeah. And now I wish Sarah was here for this because she'd get this reference and I'm not sure you will. When he said that he may not want to play hockey forever, I immediately followed that up in my mind with maybe I want to practice law like Bombay and meet a blind man in school and go move, move to New York and help him out with his legal proceedings while he becomes Daredevil. Nope, nope, nothing. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I just, because then he loses Fulton too, who is his one person that he could rely on. And then he goes from that to learning that Hans has passed. So it's, I think the point was he's still living his life trying to do his own thing and people just keep falling away from him and he's on his own and that's what's screwing up his life. And then, then you go from the good high tones to suddenly, oh, this guy is gone now. You've lost everyone. And I think maybe that was why maybe they could have had that scene before the scene in the office and then gone from the office scene to him fight i don't know how they would edit that but yeah it just seemed weird tonal shifts to have it, him being mad with hans hans saying goodbye then go to this montage scene with a really upbeat song then go to him to the diner learning that hans is dead followed by the funeral it's a very short time period to have that many tonal shifts yeah i mean you need the scene for Hans to give him advice I think it's a you need the scene to show him still skipping trying to do his own stuff but you also need the scene of his mom telling him that Hans is gone so I think it's all necessary to the film I, I will give it points for that it's just I think it could have flowed a little bit better but yeah you're right Charlie's getting in his own way because the world is changing around him and he refuses to change though one note on the funeral for the most part it's touching and sad, and it made me cry a little bit. But Bombay comes back uh, to be in audience uh, when they're giving him last rites and putting the casket into the ground. Just before they do, he takes out a jersey and lays it across the top. And to me, I've never seen Hans in this jersey. I want to say he wore it in the first movie because he's the one that provided jerseys to the team. He is, but... I think we see him in the crowd and he's just always wearing his own thing. Well, what was strange to me is that the reverend or pastor, whoever is up there trying to lead the ceremony in Bombay is like, oh, just let me interrupt you for a minute because I've got I've got to go put this thing up there and make my important speech. Right. Uh, I guess to me, when he's putting on the jersey, he's like, here was Han's favorite jersey that we've never seen before and he never wore, but he loved it, let me assure you. Uh, also, where are these kids' parents? They are in attendance with nobody else. Now, a majority of them don't live in Minnesota. I get that. Uh, isn't that through like, all three of the movies is that none of them have parents? Although, although... Sarah, again, missing Sarah. She would be so happy because Charlie's mom is back in this one. That's true. Yes. Uh, with who has apparently become divorced in the past two years because we never see her husband. Yeah. But you notice that Bombay still doesn't talk to her at all. <laughs> he talks to her at the very beginning. Were they talking about Charlie? Just after the scene, Bombay is in his bedroom at 6 a.m. And he's like... He's a real creepazoid. Yeah, yeah, um, because, okay, the alarm goes off. Charlie's like, huh, 6 a.m.? I didn't set an alarm. And Bombay's just sitting there. No, I did. And it's like, how long have you been just sitting in that chair watching him sleep? 
because you could have just woken him up when you came in instead of setting an alarm and sitting there. But yeah, Charlie doesn't even want to go with him, and then he has to flip over the mattress to get him out of bed. Which, again, is a typical thing for a teenager. So, <laughs> speaking from my own experience, anyway. Oh, so I do love in their day off where they visit uh, Orion skating with his handicapped daughter. They do have a very touching moment together where uh, Bombay explains how he introduced the team to Orion, explaining that Charlie is like the life of the team, at heart of the team rather, and he's the real Minnesota man. Minnesota miracle man. Minnesota miracle man, yes. I suppose Minnesota man would be everyone <laughs> living in Minnesota. Uh, but it gave excellent justification as to why Orion was giving Charlie such a hard time, because if he's going to win over this team and have them respect him, he needs to convince the guy who represents the heart of the team to do so. Yeah, and it's interesting because Han said the very same thing the last time that they saw each other, was that you are the heart of the team. So either Hans and Bombay both think that, or they had been talking about it together beforehand. <laughs> but yeah, I it, you don't really notice it until Bombay says that, that it's kind of you know, that's why they're giving him such a hard time now is trying to convince. And I don't know if it's necessarily giving him a hard time. It's more to convince him to work harder himself to be that person. Because Han said that too, was that he sees it's inside you. You just have to let it out or something to that effect. All right. Well, why don't we get down to the final game here, the third act of this movie. Let's get down to business. To what? defeat the Huns or the warriors <laughs> in this case. Yes, the Warriors. You like that transition? Excellent segue. So, um, just before we do, I want to say one thing about this game. I want to cut you off, and I want to say one thing about this game. There are zero stakes in this game. If the Ducks lose, true. nothing changes. They won't. They won't change the school mascot to the Ducks ah, if they lose. Not true, <laughs> because that was done through Bombay's trickery and had nothing to do with the actual game going on. Yes, exactly. So I was being sarcastic. Yes, even if the you know the what Ducks that means. Lose, um, no. <laughs> yeah, so if the Ducks lose this, they are still on full academic rides for this school for the next four years, and the the team is going to change to the Ducks. This game means nothing. But True. let's get into this meaningless game. Oh, wait, wait, wait. First, so you were talking about the Warriors, and we talked earlier about romance between Charlie and what's-her-face? Linda. Linda. The name is spoken one time in the entire film. So... Um, do you remember one of the first times they sat down to meet? They were talking about the the name of the mascot. Yes, she was. She wanted him to sign a petition to change the name. Yes. Do you remember why? Uh, because I think she thought it was offensive to possibly Indian tribes. Probably something like that. I just recall Carl saying something similar in one of our previous episodes. Okay, so. now you are right. I have said I this in the past. I thought maybe you would appreciate that they brought it up specifically in this movie. Ah, so, yes, I, I won't give it a pass. But when it comes to sports teams, I think, you know, representatives of these nations of Native Americans appreciate some representation in sports teams. I think specifically the one I remember, uh, I want to say it was, is it the Indians 
or maybe a pro football team. Some people thought <laughs> yes. it was racist. They petitioned to have it change, whereas a spokesman of the tribe said, no, it's great. We love seeing an Indian on the scoreboards. And yet it got changed because white people thought it needed to be. And I think that was, they kind of made that same argument, I think, because I thought Charlie was making the point that, well, as a mascot, it makes you like the hero or makes you more brave to have this fearsome thing as your mascot. So Where I ragged on it before, it was people unaffiliated with any sort of tribe pretending that they knew what it was all about, where it was just kind of caricature representations of Native American life. Yes. I just thought you might have an opinion on that. But. Uh, well, not this time. <laughs> uh, he gave several examples of other pro sports teams that do the same thing. Not that that justifies that, but it does happen a lot and on a much larger level than this one high school in Minnesota. True. Anyway. Yes. The final, the final game. game. Uh, let's see. So this follows a training montage where the coach is teaching them defense and telling them to pick up the trash and don't, don't let the, uh, the Warriors score their uh garbage playing basically hitting in getting a shot not on the first try but like the second or the third or the fourth and finally they practice like the ducks again and it's interesting to me in this movie that all you see of the practices so far is him yelling at them and now suddenly getting ready for the final game you actually see them doing practice <laughs> And part of the practice is he dumps a can of garbage all over the rink and has them shoot it at the goal. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, the, the idea was that you need to take every shot you can get. And the yes. goalie needs to be aware of every possible shot. Actually, I take that back because I think he dumps it on the ground and he's the one shooting at the goal. And the idea is both the goalie and the other people have to try to block the shots as they go in. Which uh, there's not a whole lot to say in the first two periods of this final game. Game, just because not a whole lot happens, which is kind of the point, uh, that they are continually blocking shots in very creative ways. Goldberg is showing dominance on the defense, like blocking things with his skate or getting in the way. They give Banks something to do, which I thought was really nice, because the whole idea is that nobody is going to score. This is a very low-scoring game, but Banks is normally the high scorer. He's the one who can get a point even against the toughest teams. So what they do here is somehow... Um, the goalie, I think, gets tricked or is out of the goal or can't quite get back, leaving a wide open goal. And when the... That's way at the end. Sure. It's during the game, though. <laughs> the varsity tries to slap shot it in. Banks dives in front of it and blocks it with his chest. So speaking of Banks, as you mentioned earlier, he actually is on the varsity team. This is another thing that comes up between the players while they're trash talking each other after they get their scholarships back, where... Charlie says well last time you guys played us you had Banks we want him back for this game so is that really something that the players can dictate if he's on the varsity team should he be just coming back and playing for them just because uh no <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's a, a glaring loophole where the, the coach didn't approve this. He's the one in charge of this child. But yeah, he just decides he's going to skate with the JV. Well, and if we're skipping over the first two periods anyway, you get to the that break between the second and third period again. They have their little locker room powwow. And this is where Portman shows up out of nowhere. And suddenly, just because he has his scholarship, he's like, I'm going to play with you guys now. <laughs> I can just show up and start playing in the middle of a game. Yeah. Yeah, I signed it, so now it's a binding contract, because apparently it had no expiration period. Oh, goodness. 
goodness. They are terrible at the law at this school, <laughs> even though they trained a lawyer. But uh, let's see. So Portman shows up just after the second round, which the only thing notable here is that the uh, the warriors are told to destroy them. And so they, they get much more physical, meaning the ducks are really beat down. They get into the locker room. They say, I don't know how we're going to last another period. It would take a miracle. And lo and behold, there's Portman ready to suit up and bash some heads as a bash brother. And then the first thing he does is someone skates at him and he just bends over and flips him out right out of the rink. Yeah, that was that was excellent fan service. <laughs> I mean, that's phenomenal. It would never happen in an actual game, but, like, that's what you want out of this type of movie. So, you talked about this during the summary at the beginning, but Portman gets a penalty later on, which really shouldn't have been a penalty anyway. He goes crazy in the box and is stripping for everyone just to get the crowd to go crazy. Strips down uh, past his shirt. He is shirtless at the end of it. (laughs) Yes. Uh, and then Kenny gets into the box also. I don't remember. I think it was they had too many men on the ice yep. because they must have still had five players even though Portman was in the box. So then they went down to three and that's the point where Banks had to dive in front of the goal and block something mm. because they had nobody else there to do it. But who did he, he put on the ice? Charlie and Adam Banks and Goldberg. Goldberg acted like he was so surprised by this and this is where I said earlier it's good because then you actually have two goalies out there if you're stressing on defense it makes sense to put him there precisely so now i think he was surprised because there's much better shooters and much better skaters than he is he's only been doing this new job as a defender for a short amount of time but in that short amount of time he's definitely made a name for himself and yeah and but at this point again if you're short players defense is more what you're looking for anyway that's true now i thought this was genius on the the screenwriting end of things because these three people represent the the three people that have been with the series the entire time and have become fan favorites. Mm-hmm. These are three people that have had storylines the entire time throughout every three movies, and we're seeing them competing for the final game of the series. Something I thought of, but I'm try- still trying to make sure if it makes sense. You remember the in their first game... They're up 9-0, and as they're getting closer to the end of the game, the other team pulls the goalie, which is Mm -hmm. something that hockey players do, where (laughs) you pull the goalie so you can get an extra offensive player out on the ice. So at this point, you're tied, but it's still 0-0, so you're down two players already in the penalty box. Would you pull your goalie so you could have four people on the ice? Absolutely not. Not in this case, (laughs) particularly because the varsity are very good around the goal. You need as many defenders as possible or they will score on you. That was the same conclusion I came to, but it was just something that occurred to me while I was watching was maybe they could have done that instead. Yeah, they actually have done it in a previous movie. I think it's their first game to get or first game, first movie to get into the playoffs they pull the goalie to have an extra person on the ice. Because Goldberg was surprised that they were taking him out. <laughs> All right. Now, we've talked about the end of this film. Let's finish it off. Uh, can I can I make one more point? Yes, yes, yes. So there's a point, again, there are three on five. There are the, the, the varsity team is kind of on a breakaway here. They get by a couple people, and it's Charlie against the captain of the other team, which I forget his name. And they're skating down. The whole movie, the coach keeps telling him, make them make the first move, and... 
then so charlie is skating trying to defend this guy he doesn't really the other guy doesn't make any moves charlie just kind of bends over stops and bends over and runs into him and then the coach is like yeah that's what i'm talking about but he didn't make anybody make a move he just ran into it right so So, this is uh, it's a callback to a previous scene because the coach has said this before i think it was in their first game that they tied where charlie should make the first or charlie should wait for them to make the first move he doesn't and he dives to the right the other person goes to his left meaning the other person got by him I think what's happening here is he waited for the offensive guy to pick a direction and then he bent down in that direction to stop him. I suppose. I don't know. I just thought it didn't really seem like he waited for anybody to do anything. It was just, well, I'm just going to run into you now instead of trying to get the puck away. But but then in the end, he ends up with the puck and goes down. So Charlie gets on a breakaway here somehow, even though the other team has five players and they have three. <laughs> but <laughs> they get on the breakaway, skating down the ice, and you get this rush of excitement. Everybody thinks Charlie's going to get the game-winning goal. He gets up there, fakes out the goalie. The goalie dives on the ground. Instead of shooting it, Charlie hits it backwards. And who's behind him? <gasps> Goldberg. It's Goldberg. Goldberg? <laughs> Goldberg? Speaking of which, the announcer in this movie was really weird. Yes. Uh- <laughs> he knows a lot, including that Hans has died and the Norwegian tradition of touching the ice in honor of him. And he's like 10 years old. Yeah, but- <laughs> and he talks to a player of the actual Mighty Duck. That's true. <laughs> I, I don't know. He was weird to me. Anyway, back on track. Yes. So Goldberg gets the puck. He is so surprised to even have it that he's freaking out and doesn't shoot it right away. And everybody starts to close in on him before he can shoot it. And it goes in because there's nobody in front of the goal. Ducks win. Ducks win. And now they are officially the Ducks. Kind of. And well, okay. So again, back to your summary. You talked about this. They win the game. Charlie looks up in the stands. There's Gordon. He nods to the scoreboard. And somehow, some Somebody rigged a flag up on the wall that would drop down in front of the high school's mascot. And now it says whatever their high school is, Eden? Eden Hall. Eden Hall Ducks instead of the Eden Hall Warriors. And I'm just wondering if they would have had to rig that up there before the game. What happens if the Ducks lost? That's what I'm saying. There are no stakes. They become the Ducks regardless. I guess that's true. Yeah. Uh, so they do finish with a great flashback where it's from the first movie kind of overlaid in this one where it goes through the team. Oh no, it's Bombay celebrating with Charlie after Charlie has made the penalty shot for them to win the child championship, whatever it was called. Pee-wee. Pee-wee. <laughs> they win children. What? Hmm. Well, anyway. <laughs> so that is going to do it for this long form. So let's go on to games. First game is the pitch game where you are trying to pitch this movie to a Hollywood executive or explain it to somebody who's never seen it where you are combining two other properties to combine into this film with the form it's this meets this all right so because this is a film with a phenomenal introductory chase scene and a ragtag group of kids and also a film with a new coach trying to help out a resistant hockey player. It is Goonies meets The Love Guru. Yeah, I had to do research on The Love Guru for this movie, and I don't love it. I... uh... 
having never seen that movie, I have no idea. But as soon as you said ragtag kids and chase scene, I knew exactly what the other one was going to be. Oh, yes. So I think we both ran into this where because this is the third one in a row that is a hockey movie, I really had to scrape the bottom of the barrel, which you will see in my next one because I didn't do research on this. But uh, in order to find a new coach movie, I searched for the words new coach movie on Google, which I don't recommend because there is a film called The New Coach, which is gay (laughs) pornography. Yes, do not do that. Are you advocating that, it? Is unless that that's what you're lo- unless you're looking for that, I guess. But no. Um well, I also had trouble with this. Like you said, it's the third one in a row where the movies are so similar. There is a new coach in this movie. He's also a very tough coach with high standards for them, but also there's lots of pranks and it's the team trying to stay in school, which As I pointed out earlier, I originally thought this was taking place in college anyway. So I have Coach Carter meets Animal House. Uh, Nicely done. All right. So my final one here. It's a movie that is completely aware of what it is and uses its nostalgic tropes well. In addition, it is a movie featuring a failed lawyer, a hockey team with a female goalie, and a very pervy character. This is The Muppet Movie meets National Lampoon's Pucked. Now, if you've never heard of National Lampoon's Pucked, it's because it was a terrible movie. But I'll tell you a little about it. It is a movie that stars John Bon Jovi in a starring role. Uh, It stars the son from Married with Children, as as well as Carrie Elwes, a.k.a. The Dread Pirate Roberts. This is a really weird film. I have never heard of it. It's interesting that it has some actors in it that I have heard of. John Bon Jovi? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've heard of him, but not as an actor, I guess. Uh, So it's a terrible, terrible film whereby the failed lawyer, John Bon Jovi, steals a credit card and uses it to fund a female hockey league. So the pervy part of it is he's hanging out in the locker rooms with all of his players. National Lampoon's Hockey League of Their Own, basically. (laughs) Yeah, more or less. All right, let's go on to our second game, which is alternate tagline. So it is a phrase you may find on a movie poster which explains the theme of the film, the idea of this game being we will take an unusual theme which gets to the heart or the lesson or the theme of the movie but totally misses the point. Now, as a reference, here is the actual tagline from D3, The Mighty Ducks. It is D3, The Mighty Ducks, no fear, no limits, no breaks, just ducks. Which, once again, has nothing to do with the film. Well... No. I mean, the one guy has no breaks. <laughs> True enough. All right. I actually have three here. So I'm going to go first here. Uh, in fact, my first one goes back to the actual tagline. It is, no ducks, no bash brothers, no Bombay, no fun. High school's going to be rough. Ah, oh, I was hoping one of your no would be like no points. Ha! Because that was Not the bad. first thing that came to my mind when you started reading the real oh, one. We should have workshopped this. Yeah, but go ahead. All right. So this one that I have, uh, again, is more like a subtitle, I think. But I have D3, The Great Goose Egg Hunt. Ha! That's not bad. I like that a lot. Uh, all right. I've got D3, The Mighty Ducks, fan service done well. 
yes. <laughs> See, I think you enjoy that stuff more than I do because I don't even really pay attention to it. I'm just watching a movie for it to be entertaining. I just love so, that this film was nostalgic for another film in the same series. Yeah. I like a lot of the, more the cutback scenes more than the random things that they do to throw back to the old movies, if that makes sense. I can get that. All right, what is your second one? Second one, because Charlie is the rebel throughout this movie and always does his own thing, I have D3, Duck Without a Cause. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> uh, all right, my final one here is D3, The Mighty Ducks. Scoring is only half the game. The other half is garbage collection. <laughs> I was hoping that one would be the other half is not scoring. <laughs> All right, let's go on to the TV Guide game, which is a brief summary of the film, much like you would find in a Netflix description or a TV guide, where it accurately describes the plot, but kind of misses the point of the film. All right. Young girl discovers she loves sports for the first time after falling for a guy over shared love of pizza. <laughs> oh, God, they really had nothing in common. Nothing, nothing at all. That's the same as all high school love, isn't it? Yeah, that's we're we're two humans occupying basically the same space. Let's let's get together. <laughs> all right, I've got the leader of a group of ducks flies south, leaving his flock to be beaten by a pack of warriors. When their leader returns, he helps them even the score at zero. Yes. <laughs> all right. Uh, my second one. Teen jocks learn the value of pranks. <laughs> Oh, they sure do. Uh, my final one here. An outside lawyer wreaks havoc on the operations of a private learning institution, going so far as to change their mascot to one he prefers. <laughs> yeah. Did I, so, again, I swear that was only the two teams that decided that. I don't remember Bombay ever making that part of the clause. He didn't. It's never spoken, but he does nod to the flyer, which he knows is there and nobody else does. As well as, um, I think Dwayne has the line, look what Bombay did when the, yeah. the Flyers debuted. I thought Bombay did that, but I didn't think it was official that the team's mascot was actually changing. Uh, I think it is official. Also, oh, we should have gotten into this. Is Bombay still a lawyer? I don't know. No. Well, can he be? Isn't because he's the director of whatever for the Goodwill Games. Yes, we should ask Sarah's sister about this. As so to I mean, how long you can he, be a lawyer? I'm sure he has. I mean, he still has the education. But I don't. Does, once you pass the bar, are you just legally a lawyer forever? I guess, even though you don't practice, maybe. Yeah. I don't anyway, know how that works. Let's go on to ratings. Our first rating is the potato scale, uh, telling you what kind of emotions you can expect to feel during this movie. Uh, so, Mark, what potato is this for you? I have a feeling after after all of our talking here that you may not enjoy this so there were moments in this movie i think that that it was okay for me but i don't and as much as there were parts that i liked and i liked what they did with it it just didn't have the same feeling for me as the first two so i was calling this a raw potato which on our scale means that it's a bland movie 
it's hard to explain that for me, I think, just because <laughs> it, it had some things, but it just wasn't really enough for me to fall in love with it. All right. So I have a few potatoes here, one of which I'm going to introduce to the scale for the first time. Uh, so the first one I have is a blue potato. Uh, Hans's death is significantly emotional. It made me tear up a bit. Uh, because, you know, the film definitely treats his death very well. It gives him the impetus for Charlie to go back to the team and for the Ducks to win at the end. Uh, the one that I'm introducing is, I think I'll use it for sports movies. It's the golden potato, uh, as if they're being presented by an award or something. It just, it makes you feel very proud. I think this is the rating I was looking for in the second film, because the, their final games are very engrossing and it makes you feel proud of these kids who are triumphing over adversity to win these very hard matches. And I could see that because the gold potato is like a trophy, especially when you have those big come from behind sports movies where it's all, oh, now we're all excited because we won the game. So yeah, so let's I go to our second rating scale, which is a traditional point scale telling you the rewatchability of this film. Rated on a scale of, I guess, 0 to 10. Uh, 0 being, never watch this, don't pick it up again, let it live in nostalgia. And 10 being, yeah, definitely check this one out. It's going to deliver on everything you want. Is that new? I thought it was 1 to 10 before. Well, yeah, but it, it just occurred to me that, like, yeah, maybe you just want to give it a 0 instead of a 1. Why start with a 1 if, there's, <laughs> if 0 is available? I'm going to put it at maybe a 5. I don't think I would make it like, I mean, it's not the worst movie I've seen, so I'm not going to give it a low score, but I I still put it below the other two. I think it had more for me as an adult, actually, like adult lessons, maybe, or you can look at it as the maturing of teens as they go through high school and learn life lessons. But overall, as a family movie, some of that stuff would go over the kids' heads, and then all you have is the sports and ranks which to me were not that great actually but <laughs> so i am going to just throw this in this rating is for people who may want to visit and to see if their nostalgia still holds up so as an adult did you like this film if five is your rating still then five is your rating still i yeah i'm i would still stick with a five okay well i am going to go much higher uh i am actually going to give this film a nine I like this film. I think it is my favorite in the series. Uh, and it's like a solid film. Like the story is engaging. I care about these people. Uh, if you're nostalgic for these characters, this kind of delivers on that and justifies your nostalgia within the film. Uh, also, the coach that I remember as being terrible and rough, I actually really enjoyed because he's just an adult trying to coach these kids. Uh, and the only reason I won't give it a 10 is that you have to slog through the other two films to really get everything out of it. Because they're not going to rehash these characters. They don't really introduce them. You have to see the other two to really appreciate who the Mighty Ducks are in this film. Interesting. I'm curious what Sarah would say, but unfortunately she's not here to give her I, opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I give it a seven. Well, um, whoa, Sarah, where'd you come from? 
I I don't know. I think it's I, I can see what you're saying. I like I think that it has the story there and some of that nostalgia. I just for me, I get more out of a movie that has the entertainment and fun of watching it. And I guess to me, the other two were more fun. I would maybe I would agree with that. I think the other two are definitely more campy because that whole like trick shot playing hockey type thing is something that only lives in movie tropes. Whereas this one was more true to life as to yes. how you know, an actual sports team in high school would train for hockey matches. True. So, I mean, yes, it is a change of form for the film, which I think worked very well for me. And perhaps that what you that's what you found fault with it. Maybe I just hate real life. It's possible. It's, <laughs> I mean, if you're looking for a campy movie for escapism, by all means, watch the other two. But if you're looking for a generally good film from your childhood, I say this is one of the films for you. So I guess it all comes down to what our viewers are looking for in a film. And I think we both represent opposite poles of the spectrum. Well put. So we're going to finish it out here with the final section, which is, guys, I learned something today. Some lesson that you can pick up from this film. Now, my lesson came in the final uh, match of the movie. And it actually came from that announcer character that we were talking about, which people may remember him from the show The Nanny, where he played uh, Brighton Sheffield. Uh, he says this as they enter the second period and the, the warriors start to become a little more physical. He says simply, if you can't beat them, beat them. So if you find yourself a strife in life, just get a little bit physical and it'll all work itself out. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of Retrograding. We'll catch you next time. Good night, everybody. So, uh, the ducks count, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Re battle? Battle? <laughs> no, what's the counteract, um, fight back? Yes. <laughs> revenge? <laughs> revenge. The ducks get revenge by freezing, uh, this is where we cut things out. Yeah, we are, we are running a little long. Are we? Yeah, 119, that's a while. Usually it comes around like 40, 45 minutes. I, I don't think so. Ah, uh, well, anyway. <clears throat> okay. <laughs>